Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Again, we covered a lot of international headlines in the first hour, so we're going to turn our attention in this hour to things here in the United States. Texas Republican Governor Greg Abbott has signed into law a bill that bans 24-hour and drive-through voting. You're going to hear this characterized um, as voter suppression. Um, What I think is happening is the empowerment of poll watchers and the removal of Um, mail-in balloting in terms of um, who's actually voting. So, you know, you're going to hear it described as restrictive. Um, You're going to hear it described in many, many ways. And so, you know, have a conversation with yourself before you have a conversation with someone else about what you think the rules ought to be, what the rules are in your own state and in your own community, and frankly, how often you vote. Right. So this ultimately comes down to we, the people, get the government we deserve in our states as well as in our nation. And if you're not exercising your right to vote, your responsibility to vote, then I don't really think you're in a position to say much about the rights and responsibilities of people in other states. So this is what's going on in Texas. What's going on in your neck of the woods? What are the what's the law of the land where you live Um, and and how right and righteous is it? And, you know, that's your place of most of most powerful influence. All right. The president, President Biden, is set to deliver a major address tomorrow on the next phase of uh, proposed pandemic response. COVID is topping the news headlines in many communities and states across the country. Um, And in Miami-Dade County Public Schools, um, 13 employees have died from COVID-19 since August the 16th. So in one school district, the Miami-Dade County Public School District, Uh, 13 school employees have died since August the 16th, which is when school schools resumed there um, in South Texas and South Florida. Among the 13, uh, four teachers, one security monitor, one cafeteria worker and seven school bus drivers. None of them were vaccinated. So you are going to hear that news um, and people are going to respond, uh, you know, in different ways to those kinds of headlines. But they are headlines and we ought to be paying attention to them. In social news, TikTok has surpassed YouTube in viewing uh, time per user, which means people are spending, people spending time on TikTok and people spending time on YouTube, which is a lot of people, by the way, um, they are spending more time per user on TikTok, which let's just remind ourselves, those are like 60 second videos. Now you can back them up one to another, Um, and get more than a minute, but we're talking about 60 seconds here. So the appetite for the length of a video, um, people migrating from YouTube to TikTok, in terms of the amount of time that they spend there, it's going to probably tell us something about the attention span of people, Um, not only to things that we listen to, but things that we watch. I mean, even our appetite for that which we see 
is now shrinking to, well, apparently about 60 seconds. Um, all right. I have another um, I have another headline about an exploding supernova, but that's going to have to wait because John Brandon is already here. He's a Forbes column, columnist. He's a digital media director here for Northwestern Media. He is an author. We're going to talk about uh, the launch of his book, Seven Minute Solution. We're also going to talk about rethinking the five day work week. That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. with us. He's a columnist for Forbes. He's also the digital media director here at Northwestern Media and the author of the seven minute productivity solution, how to manage your schedule, overcome distraction and achieve the results you want. You can find it at seven minute John, welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me. People are rethinking the five day work week. Tell us about that. Yeah, uh, something about me that you might not know, Carmen, is that uh, I used to write for Inc. Magazine, and this was for about 10 years. I covered this topic a lot. I wrote probably four or five different columns about it during that time. It keeps resurfacing. Um, I think people are saying, you know, I want Fridays to myself. I'd like to maybe just work really hard for four days and then have a long weekend, like the one we just had, of course. Um, I'm a fan of this. I, I think the reason it resurfaces is because we're trying to convince employers to do it. And, you know, they they kind of have a lot of the uh, control over these things. They can tell you when to work and what time and which days. Uh, the problem I have with it, though, is that is it really going to help with productivity? Because it's not getting at the core issue. And the core issue is are you working smarter or are you just working fewer hours? So if we can get to the core issue of working smarter, then, yeah, maybe we can do four, four days a week. That's no big deal. And and we can not, you know, doom scroll on our phones as much. We can do less surfing on the web. These things just tend to give us the illusion of doing hard work. And it tricks our brain into thinking that we're working hard, but we're actually not. So somehow if we can get at that core issue... Then I'm I'm a big fan of maybe reducing hours, and I think employers would be a fan of that as well. Are people really working forty hours a week? I mean, like, I look at how much time. I mean, you have to be not working, not really working, if you're on social media. And so, if you're on social media in the in what should be the middle of your workday, you're not really working, right? Like, yeah. what is the how much are people really working? <laughs> That's a great question. It's one that, uh, by the way, Henry Ford uh, uh, is the person that we can blame for, uh, or I guess credit for having a five-day work week. He's the one who said everybody should work 40 hours, too. Um, it used to be six or seven, so we used to have Saturdays and Sundays that we had to work as well. Um, what what the reason he did that though is he wanted to sell more cars uh, because on the weekend we spend a, we tend to spend more money and we have more leisure time. So there is something about the economy that would work better if we had more free time. We might go to places like Old Navy more. We might go to Applebee's more um, if we weren't working as much. But the again the core issue, like you suggested, is 
a lot of times people, uh, this is a, a brain science issue once again. When you're on social media or you're surfing the web, it tricks your brain. It gives you a dopamine hit in your brain that makes you think that you're working hard. Uh, if we want to spiritualize this, I actually think it's uh, the workings of the enemy sometimes to trick us into thinking that we're working. And then it's just an illusion where we're pursuing after something that's not real. Um, we're scrolling Instagram because we think we're looking for something and we're working. And yet, what are we really searching for? We don't even know. Um, and then, you know, two hours go by. And, and again, that's that's the core issue. I wish we could figure out how to work smarter. Uh, in my book, I talk a lot about routines um, and repeatable habits that help us work harder. And we could talk about that anytime you want. So what would a routine that I could like it has to start with a change of my routine, right? So let's talk about, you know, what's this first step in changing a routine in in the moving in the direction of adapting to and developing a new one? Yeah, here here's my big challenge for listeners today. So in my book, it uh, comes out in January. Uh, it's the seven minute productivity solution, and I talk about a seven minute social media routine. And the whole idea there is. You know, if you're thinking of scrolling on your phone, maybe you're in the middle of the day and you're just bored and you start going on Instagram or Facebook or, like you said, TikTok is starting to get really popular now. Uh, just do it for seven minutes and see what happens. Uh, this is the challenge. You know, do it a couple times during the day. Set a timer, whatever you want to do to, to track it. Look at your watch. After seven minutes, then stop doing it. And this is the amazing thing that happens when you do this. You become more intentional with your time, and then you say, oh, okay, I've mastered this. I've mastered something that's very repeatable. I can do a seven-minute routine going through social media. I can do a seven-minute routine checking my email. And then it teaches us good habits. It teaches us to be intentional with our time. And honestly, that's why this is a Christian book, by the way. It's on Revel uh, Baker Books. Because what I'm really saying is that if we're intentional with our time, we actually free up more time for family or evangelism or prayer and work just, it totally changes. It becomes something that we've mastered and hasn't just mastered us. We're talking with John Brandon. We're talking about social media and productivity, rethinking the five-day work week. Yeah, we got some other things left to talk about. We'll be right back. Talking with John Brandon, he's a Forbes columnist and the director of digital media here at Northwestern Media. Um, John, I know this isn't really on our schedule to talk about, but um, this week, most of my sort of interactions and conversations with people at some point circle around to 9-11. And we are, you know, approaching the 20-year, I'm not sure if we're supposed to call it an anniversary. I actually heard someone say that they... They don't like that word. So commemoration, observance, remembrance of September 11th. Um, you want to walk back there and tell me what business was like and what life was like and um, how, you know, how you see things having changed because of it on that front. Yeah, one of the biggest things is that there's just a there is a total overhaul of all security 
And, uh, you know, it's maybe a little bit of a boring topic in light of uh, the events of 9-11. By the way, on a personal note, uh, 9-11 happened when I was in the corporate world and I was a director of information design at Best Buy Corporation at the time. Um, About a week after 9-11, there was a a lot of economic issues and I was downsized on 9-18-2001. And that's uh, why I became a columnist and a writer at the time. But I think the the impact from a technological standpoint was a vast overhaul of security infrastructure, every area of life. We didn't even necessarily notice it at the time. Um, I remember as a kid getting on airplanes where you just walk right to the plane and, and get on. So that was the most obvious one. But a major, major shift in things like, you know, Apps weren't even popular back then. Uh, Actually, phones didn't even, cell phones barely existed. Um, But there was just this impetus and this growth of security on your devices, on the web, um, on every aspect of life. And I I think that in many ways that's good. I think as a technology columnist all all these years, at times we've taken it too far. I think that Uh, Sometimes we need to back down on the security, you know, the triple authentication, you know, I get this code on my phone and then I have to, you know, jump up and down three times to get uh, to get the login to work. But a a lot of that uh, is because it's addressing, you know, that security issue that of 9-11 and why 9-11 even happened in the first place. Security, um, but then also, I think, surveillance. I mean, the information gathered about us um, and all of the ways in which we're being watched um, and what we're doing, even our clicks are being watched is, you know, I I don't want to be, I don't even know what the word is. Like, I I don't, I don't want to be paranoid, but wow, I, I am very aware that there's a window into every aspect of our lives now that did not exist prior to 9-11. Some of that is the development of technology. Um, But I think that technology would not have developed as it has had 9-11 not happened. Right. And you touched on something. There is a Wired article that uh, your producer mentioned to me yesterday that people have created masks uh, that they wear to avoid surveillance. And they're very realistic looking. Someone, I think, robbed a bank or robbed a convenience store or something like that wearing a mask. And it was so realistic that they were looking for this guy in his 80s, you know, and Actually, it was just a younger guy wearing a mask. Um, what what they're trying to do, so when the security infrastructure gets and the surveillance uh, infrastructure increases, then the hackers get even more ingenious about how to combat that. And that's what you're touching on, actually, there is, is the more of surveillance we have and the more bureaucracy we have, the more people are going to figure out how to circumvent it and then maybe they're going to succeed at it. So it's it's this constant battle between you know the the good side and the dark side, and and sometimes the dark side is is going to win. Um, and again, the, I, I like to spiritualize things. I know you do too. But there's that same uh, constant battle inside of us too. And uh, it, the problem with the security stuff too is it doesn't really get into the motivations of the heart and why are people hacking? Why are they wearing masks? Uh, and and by the way, I mean a full mask over their head, not the kind that we wear because of the the virus. Um, 
But, you know, I, I'd love to talk to you about this sometime because it, we, none of this technology really gets into the moral issues or the spiritual issues, and that's really what's at stake here. Was it um, Mission Impossible where Tom Cruise, like, wears <laughs> that full over his whole head mask and yep. it's like, right? Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's so, become a reality pretty much. So That's what you're telling me now, <laughs> which now is going to make me wonder about so many things. <laughs> right. So, right, what is real and what is not real? Like that line is beca- has become so blurry, trusting my own eyes, deep fakes, um, the whole conversation about AI. Maybe we could tee that up um, for the next time that we talk. I know that AI is... A big conversation topic. I've got, we've got a lot of listeners very interested in in talking about that, having it explained in a way that we might be able to um, engage with. Do you think we could tee that up for a future conversation? Yeah, and you can ask me about autonomous cars because I'm I'm basically against them. So we could talk about well, why. Let's start there. Yeah. <laughs> let's just ha- we could talk for two minutes now about autonomous cars. Does that mean the car is going to actually like? operate on its own and think for itself? Yeah, and and, and the mm. reason I'm against it is just because I, I think that the technology is not advanced enough. I think it could be another 20, 30 years before it is, but we're doing it anyway. Uh, and there's been some accidents lately in some of the testing, uh, but I'm just, I'm not really for it because I don't really see the advantages of it. Yeah, that, and you might just be old school, like, right? <laughs> you, I like to you, drive let me cars. Ask, well, so, okay, so see, there's that. So when you are, if you and I were going on a cross-country road trip, um, would you want to be the driver? Yeah, I just, I, the main thing is mm-hmm. I, I would rather the artificial intelligence to stay in our phones and our computers for now and just let us drive our own cars. That's that's where okay. I'm at with that issue. Yeah, well, so see, just to, just to be clear, I would want to drive. <laughs> nice. So part of this is like, right, who's the... Who is the more control freak in the in the car? Well, you're you're the host. So, of course, you would drive and (laughs) I'm the passenger. I don't know. I don't know. If we're test driving some vehicle, then you're the much more the test driver person than I am. (laughs) That's true. I've seen you on that like motorized bike. (laughs) Right. And you don't even know that I just bought a used BMW from my neighbor. So, Uh yeah, I'll have to tell you that story sometime. All right. I, I, I see I see a conversation emerging in the future. John, um, as always, it's such a joy to talk with you. Um, blessings on you. As we, I think, all attend to this week, you know, as 9-11 approaches, we're going to talk about people's experiences, the work, the working world and our working lives and our everyday life and how we travel and what we think about and how we think about the world and how small it is. All of that has changed so much in the past 20 years. Um, And so, uh, you know, just thanks for visiting on that point. And we look forward to talking with you again. You guys can check out John's book, The 7-Minute Productivity Solution, How to Manage Your Schedule, Overcome Distraction, and Achieve the Results You Want at 7minutesolution.com. You can actually pre-order it now. John, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Absolutely. We'll be right back. In this week of 9-11, we are going to have conversations with individuals who have unique perspectives on the day and the events thereof. And so um, we thought it would be helpful to talk with a survivor of 9-11. Leslie Haskins will join me next. 
She's probably one of the um, most recognizable and inspirational survivors of 9-11. Her miraculous story of escaping the falling towers on September the 11th, um, and then following that, her experience of post-traumatic stress, becoming homeless, and then rebuilding her life has inspired audiences worldwide. Maybe you have read one of her five best-selling books, Between Heaven and Ground Zero, or God Has Not Forgotten You two of my um, personal favorites. Leslie Haskins joins us next. We'll be right back. Where do you feel empty? Are you hungry for attention, craving success, longing for intimacy? Be aware of your weaknesses. Bring them to God before Satan brings them to you. Satan will tell you, as he did tempting Jesus, to turn stones into bread In other words, to take matters into your own hands. If Satan convinces us to trust our works over God's word, he has us dangling from a broken limb. Do what Jesus did. In Satan's temptation of Jesus, three times Jesus repeated, It is written. It also is written. It is written. God's book was enough. Jesus overcame temptation not with special voices or supernatural signs, but by remembering and quoting scripture. Do the same. Let God's word silence Satan's lies and see what happens. This is Max Lucado. We promised we would never forget, and part of that is continuing to talk with those who experienced things on 9-11 that the overwhelming majority of us did not experience firsthand. Leslie Haskin was in the building, and she is here with us now to talk about her experience not only on that day, but how that experience then produced many others in her life. She speaks with us as a sister in Christ. You can read A number of her best-selling books you might want to start with, Between Heaven and Ground Zero, or God uh, Has Not Forgotten About You. Leslie Haskin, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. If you would be willing to do so, just take us back, um, and let's start there on September 11th, 2001. Um, Where were you, and what did you experience? Sure. Um, I worked for Kemper Insurance Company in Tower One. Our offices were on the 36th and 37th floor. Um, The plane entered the building directly underneath where our offices were. And from the moment the plane hit the building, I remember hearing the large roar, feeling the enormity of the impact into the building and how violently that building shook. Glass exploded everywhere. The building kind of rocked and never really righted itself. There was debris falling and people running and screaming that the building was was coming down. And we all just ran towards the exits. And you made your way um, down 30... six flights of stairs and out to the street. Um, You know, it's not as if the, 
just getting out of the building was, um, you know, was the escape. T- tell us, I mean, you know, we watched it unfold. Mm-hmm. Um, we we remember seeing people covered with soot and, and mm-hmm. injured and moving in all directions. What was your experience once you reached the street? Something caught my ear that you said that you watched it and from what you can remember seeing I always thought it was interesting that what you saw from the outside is not what we experienced from the inside. You saw a big hole in the side of the building and smoke coming from the building, and perhaps you saw some of the people who chose flight over fight. And But from the inside, from the moment the plane hit the building, we knew that there was only a matter of time before the building fell. We saw... Um, people being burned alive. We heard them mm-hmm. screaming. We heard this scream for help. We coming down the stairs, there was smoke and it was difficult to breathe and see. We saw the firemen desperately trying to rescue people. So from the inside of the building, it was always only a matter of time. And where we exited the building onto the concourse level is where the jumpers were. And mm. because that was the only way left for us to get out of the building at that point. Okay. So the concourse level for those of us who were never Sorry. in the twin towers, no, no. Um, mm. Help us understand what that means because the concourse level is not ground level. It's not ground level. Um, the concourse level is the level of the building where the two towers connected. That's where the escalators were. There were elevators there. And that was the place where we could go down another escalator to the um, ground level that connected to almost across the street from where the World Trade Center were, because it was this huge connection of buildings. And through that concourse, you could get to just about any other um, um, tower or any other building. And that's where we exited it from. So the place where we had to go to escape was where most of the debris and everything else was. We had to go through that and then down more another escalator across a platform and then out onto the street. This might seem a strange question, Leslie, but what what were you wearing that day? What are your mm-hmm. shoes that you're wearing that day? And who are we? When you keep referring to we, um, <laughs> who are the we with whom you made this journey on that day? I have never been asked that question in 20 years. And I'm going to answer the we part of it first. Every person who survived that day, when we meet up, when we meet each other, we're a family. The we that I'm talking about is everybody that got out of that building because we became one. There's no name for the we. There's not a Sarah or John or George. It's every one of us. So when I say we, I'm talking about thousands of people because we moved in sync like we were one person that day getting out of that building. Every one of us was afraid for our lives. Every one of us was connected in our terror and in our faith and in our determination to survive. 
So that's the we I'm talking about. What was I wearing? I can tell you what I was wearing. I can tell you what I smelled like. I can tell you what my breath smelled like because I remember the details. I was wearing a black barami suit with a skirt and a vest. I had on a pair of black um, and striped Burberry pumps, and I walked through water and blood mixed with dirt and I don't know what. And to this day, I still have the suit and the shoes because for me, it's not a reminder of what happened that day. For me, it's, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. I I would say a trophy, but not really. Um, It's not a reminder because I never forget. It's just something for to have, to give to my family, to say, this is the legacy of where our family was born into faith. And this is what I was wearing when I was reborn. We're going to talk about that um, in just a moment. Leslie, um, it's a uniform of survival. And there's a reason we keep them. There's a reason we keep them. They're kind of your dog tags. Um, Let's talk about, um, let's, let's continue this conversation with Leslie Haskin in just a moment. She's a um, she's one of the thousands of people who was determined to live on 9-11. Um, her story does not end on 9-11. It really begins there in terms of uh, a story of faith and finding God faithful and redemption. And we're going to talk about that part of Leslie's story up next. You can find Leslie at LeslieHaskin.net. We'll be right back. To cry all the tears and replay all the memories, good and bad from the years. And we show Leslie Haskin is the subject of a documentary. She is the best selling author of Between Heaven and Ground Zero. Her follow up book, God Has Not Forgotten About You, is deeply personal. Um, She joins us today to talk about not only her experience on 9-11, but the way God has walked with her in the 20 years since. So, Leslie, again, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you for retilling um, this soil and helping each one of us reconnect with an event that uh, that you can't escape from. Like, it's not about remembering for you. It it really is uh, the story out of which you live. So talk with folks about... um, the darkness that followed 9-11, but then also mm-hmm. the, the redemption that you've experienced. Yeah. So I, I like that you say it, it's been um, something that I live with, and, and that is the absolute truth. Um, for as we come on this 20-year anniversary, for for those who were on the outside looking in, uh, for those who of us, the we again that survived that day, it's yesterday, and the the twist, the irony of it is that it's been twenty years of yesterday, and our yesterday continues. I suffered a mental break after nine eleven. I was diagnosed with severe post traumatic stress disorder was committed to a psychiatric hospital. I was convinced the Taliban was looking for me personally, so I couldn't go back to work. I couldn't speak. I spoke with a severe stutter. 
Um, my son and I, uh, I was a single mom at the time, and my son and I eventually became homeless for almost three years um, just because of the illness and the, the mental struggle that I was still going through after 9-11. But um, one day, God sent a 12-year-old boy, 13 at the time, my son, into my room one morning, um, and he was telling me about something that he learned in school. And it was a scripture, and I don't know why it resonated with me so, but he said, Mom, you know, yesterday we learned in school that if you're lukewarm, God will spit you out of his mouth. And for some reason, it resonated, it touched me, and only the Holy Spirit of God knows what part or what place in me it touched, but it stirred something. And after he left my room, I went to the Lord and I said, you know, I don't love you because I don't know you. But if you are the God that my mother said you were, if you are the God that my daddy preached about, then I need you. I need you to clear my mind. And and I went on to, to talk with him. And the days after that prayer became the rebirth of Leslie. Let me change that. I want to take that word off. I don't want to say rebirth. It became the birth of Leslie. The closer I got to him, the more I learned about God and Jesus Christ, the more I learned about Leslie and the more I began to be born and grow into the vision that God had for my life, not the vision that I designed for me. Mm. And you're walking that out now in um, in ways that are beautiful and substantial um, and a, a living testimony. And and I want to affirm that and I want to celebrate that um, you, you you step out onto, you know, onto stages and places um, here in the U.S. and around the world and inspire mm-hmm. so many people. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that in the midst of that, like you're you know, there's a. There's a pulling the scab off every time, right? I mean, yeah. you're, yeah. And so I recognize and, and I realize that, and I want to thank you for your willingness you. to continue to go to the place of wounding um, because we we honestly don't all live as if 9-11 was yesterday. Yeah, yeah. And, and we just, I mean, it, it formed us and we heard ourselves say we'll never forget and we felt mm-hmm. it so deeply at the time yeah. and we experienced it, you know, mm-hmm. as a national thing. And we, you know, but but in reality, much like the people we send off to war, you know, we're paying somebody else to do that. Like we're, it's, mm-hmm. it's someone it's someone else's personal lived experience every day. Um, um, yeah. And so I just want to thank you for your willingness to return to that so that we can yeah. return there as well. You know, I look at it like this. I love your heart, by the way. I can feel it coming through when you speak. So I thank you for that. Um, I just want to say that for me, when I go out, you're right. Every time I talk about it, every time... Let me say this. Part of the post-traumatic stress for me is that I have nightmares. I don't sleep. I think that every night when I go to bed, I think I'm going to die. I have Mm. to brace myself for sleep. Like everybody else looks for sleep. They go, oh, I can't wait to go to bed. For me, I dread it because there's a process that I have to move through just to get the four hours of sleep that I manage to get every night. So when I talk about 9-11, 
it's not like I'm, I'm, you know, drudging it up because it's ever present with me. What I know now after 20 years of this journey is what I talk to others about. And that is I'm not trying to return to any false sense of normalcy. We keep talking now with this pandemic, like getting back to normal, back to wherever is never where God wants us. He Mm. always is moving us forward. So I'm not struggling trying to be, get back to anything pre 9-11. I am resolute in the fact that I'm a 9-11 survivor and this is what I am now. These are the conditions under which I live. How do I present them whole to God as a living sacrifice and say to others, Come, follow me as I follow Christ. Don't worry about the depression. Don't worry about the addictions. Don't worry about the anxiety. He's got that part. Let's, let me show you how to live with it and still be a light, despite the fact that he won't remove that thorn from your side, like Paul said. Mm. You are a light. Um, you are shining. Um, you, you know the darkness is dark. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and dark. I, I, yeah. it's, it's dark, but you are light and you live as one yeah. who knows the one who is the light of our salvation. And it mm. is a joy to talk with you today, um, to know that you're in the world, to know that you are offering yourself today as a living sacrifice. It is holy and acceptable to, to the Lord. Mm. Um, it is spiritual worship. And thank you so much for leading us into it today, um, into his very thank presence. You, and um, I I am gonna I I ha- I don't know how, but between you know now and Friday, I'm gonna figure out. I I think you should get a new pair of Burberry pumps. I'm just saying. <laughs> just feel like you should walk out onto every stage, everywhere, in a new pair of Burberry pumps. So I don't know who the Burberry people are, but if they're listening, this girl needs some new pumps to be walking out on the stages. Uh, in there you go. That's mine. Thank you. That's my personal sister advocacy there today. Oh, thank you so much. All right. So now, now see, I'm going to have somebody who's going to text in and say, what size shoe does she wear? So now we just need to know. What's the size shoe we're looking for? Thank you so much. That's so cool. And I would like to give um, my new book, When Your Towers Fall, I would love to give some away to your audience. Um, Maybe we can talk offline to your producers about how you'd like to present that, but I'd love to give some away and, and of course, send you some copies for your, for you and for your team as well. You are so precious. All right. So when your towers fall, I'm now clicking on it, uh, a survivor's guide to life after loss. All right. You're just going to have to come back and we're just going to have to talk about it. All right. How's that sound? <laughs> that sounds great. All right. That's that Leslie great. Haskin. I missed that there was a new book. The new book is When Your Towers Fall, A Survivor's Guide to Life After Loss. You can find uh, Leslie at Leslie Haskin, H-A-S-K-I-N dot net. We'll be right back. All right. I didn't get her shoe size, but I'm going to keep working on it. All right. Um. You know, today, you you and I are going to face circumstances that we don't expect. It doesn't mean that they're out of God's hands, and it certainly doesn't mean that we are out of God's hands. And so I want you to rest today in the very hollow of God's hand, recognizing that He knows what is before us, and He's with us in the midst of it. 
So whatever it is that you encounter in your path today, just recognize that God is present. He's available. He loves you. He sees you. He's with you. So let's turn to him no matter what happens in the midst of it all. Um, And let's walk forward by faith, step by step, in whatever shoes it is that we uh, are wearing today. And remember, remember, you know, blessed are those um, who are walking the faith out into the world that God so loves and doing so with the gospel on our lips. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.